Welcome to Junior Doctors Corner, the podcast that helps medical students and junior doctors like yourself not only survive but thrive in your careers. We cover topics including doctor well-being, career, and life outside of medicine. My name is Dana and I am your host for this podcast. Are you ready for a healthy dose of support, motivation, and inspiration? Then let's start this episode stat. Hey guys, how have you been? I know this episode came out a little bit late, but I guess better late than never. You are going to love this one because I very much did. Today's guest is not only the first ever international guest on Junior Doctor's Corner, she also has an amazing story about her time in medicine and also her time after medicine. So I have been seeing uh, some doctors in the Creative Careers Medicine Facebook group, which I am part of, talk about the anxiety and thoughts around leaving medicine. This is a really incredible story that I can't wait for you to hear. Before we dive right in, I just want to say a huge thanks to those who joined me on my Facebook group. So that's Junior Doctors Corner Community on Facebook. Uh, We did a live interview with Dr. Louise Stone about three weeks ago. um, And the people that were listening live had the opportunity to interact with Dr. Stone and ask questions about bullying and sexual harassment. So don't worry, I will still be publishing the interview on the podcast, but in future, uh, I am also planning a few other live interviews, so it'll be really fun um, and hopefully informative for you guys. So if you have any burning questions, you can get them answered on the spot by the guest speaker. Now on to today's episode. Hi, Nadine. Thank you so much for joining me on Junior Doctors Corner and for taking the time because, um, you know, over where you are right now, it's very early in the morning. So thank you so much for, you know, getting up early and coming onto the show with me. It's my pleasure to be here. And I thank you so much for having me. So, Nadine, for those who haven't had the pleasure of meeting you in person or otherwise, can you please tell us a little bit about yourself? So, first I'll tell you my personal story. I am the eldest daughter, first generation born of Haitian immigrants here in the United States. I was born in Chicago. I am a mother to two daughters who are college age and a wife. I love to cook. I am a drummer and a first degree black belt in Taekwondo and a lifelong learner. As you can tell, <laughs> professionally, I am a retired pathologist and turned, who turned into a registered yoga instructor as well as a certified health coach. And we met because I'm a new podcaster as of a year ago. You have such an interesting background, Dean. Like, oh my goodness, I didn't even know that you were a drummer and a black belt. Like, wow, that's amazing. So as you mentioned, uh, you weren't always a yoga instructor. So can you please tell us about your previous life as a pathologist and why did you choose to leave that career behind? Well, When I went into medicine, why I did it was 
it sounds very cliche, but for me, it was very true. When I was little, that's all I wanted to do. My family told me stories about me playing with my dolls and acting like their doctor. And so I always did want to be a doctor and I wanted to help people. Now, as I got older, of course, other factors came into play. Not just wanting to help people, I wanted to be in a career that would be stable, that I would be able to be in until I retired and be proud of. And then with more time, as I got married at the end of, or in the middle of medical school, it was very important to me that I have some type of work-life balance because I know family was very important to me. That's the way I was raised, and it's really what I wanted, too. I wanted a full life. So that was sort of in my thought process as I went through my rotations in medical school. Now, pathology was not part of our normal rotations, as you know. And during my, I want to say it was my third year, we met a woman who was a pathologist who was teaching us how to take histories and physicals, if you could believe that. Hmm. But she was wonderful. And so we wound up talking and she invited me to think about coming and visiting pathology for a little bit. And so I did. Her name was Dr. Hussein. And I credit Dr. Hussein for bringing me into the field and turning me on to it because for me, it was a perfect fit. What I liked about pathology was the studious, careful, contemplative nature of it, the investigation. I liked being able to put everything together, the clinical history and what I saw on the slides and what I examined on the specimens. And I liked the collaborative nature of if you had a case that was interesting or um, you had an issue, or even if you saw something that you just thought was really exciting, you can show to your colleagues and sit and you could talk about it and write something intelligent and concise. I just really loved being an investigator. During my training in pathology, when I decided to go ahead and do it, even further than that, I was introduced to cytopathology, which was doing the FNAs. And I discovered that I really liked that patient contact and I really liked that hands-on and I was good with my hands, even more than just receiving a specimen or doing an autopsy, being with the live person and listening to the history and being able to take that specimen and comfort the patient at the same time, because they were usually scared. I really liked all of that. So pathology to me was a good fit. So after my training, I completed APCP pathology, and then I did a year of cytopathology fellowship. I went to a busy community hospital setting where it was, they were taking care of, responsible for three hospitals and several clinics. And I did that for seven years. In the beginning, as I explained, it was really about taking your time, being an investigator, and putting a good story together so that you could help the patient and the clinician solve an issue and best serve the patient, best direct the patient. And then medicine started to change for me in my experience. What I was seeing was this change to a more of a business model. 
And the way it started to happen for us was getting rid of the transcriptionists in the department. So we went to voice recognition. We added that software to streamline that. And then, it, of course, because we were getting rid of transcription, then that meant paying more attention to billing. So then that was another piece that was added on, uh, figuring out the correct codes to add to your case, where we really didn't necessarily do that before. Transcription really helped with that. Then it started to become, let's start doing same-day biopsies for certain cases, for example, breast biopsies. And the idea was to make the patient more comfortable and to diminish their anxiety by giving them their specimen quickly. Okay, well, from the pathologist's point of view, after a day of looking at slides under the microscope for hours, now you're waiting for a rapid turnaround, um, a, a rapid biopsy of a breast or two or three to come and to look at it to give a, an intelligent diagnosis or a preliminary diagnosis and to move on. So then now we're slowly starting to extend hours of looking at the microscope. The other piece then became, well, if we can do that, then we can make a bunch of other biopsies same day. So then it started to become about what percentages of our cases in a day could be done same day. As my discomfort was becoming more and less and less of something that I could ignore, for instance, I was looking at the microscope for hours and hours and hours at a time, depending on what I was doing that day. So that started to change. I was starting to have headaches. You know, just kind of some body aches. And this level of discomfort in terms of my enjoyment, too. I have to be honest about that. I was becoming more comfortable because I was feeling like I had to find the things that I really liked, like I was forcing it. Mm -hmm. Like I was a square peg in a round hole, yep. and everyone else around me was just excited and passionate. At least that's what I could see. Mm -hmm. And in a couple of my colleagues, I could see this was very genuine, that they really loved what they were doing, no matter what. Do you allow cussing? I, yeah, I do it all the time. <laughs> There's, uh, and I don't know if I'm crediting the right person, so I, I won't miscredit anyone, but when you really love something, there's going to be the bad that you have to take, the shit sandwich yeah. that you have to Oh, okay. yeah, definitely. Now, for me, it was just all shit sandwich at this point. <laughs> and I thought something was intrinsically wrong with me because I wasn't in love with this elite profession and that what was wrong with me, I had to figure out, didn't I belong and shouldn't I keep proving myself? Because that was another thing. It was this never-ending prove yourself, prove yourself that you belong to this group of people who are doing this wonderful work and who work so hard and so fast and who are so good that I have to show that I deserve to be there. And there was definitely that underlying tone the whole time uh, through, and you know this, through training, 
you have to prove that you can be a doctor. Then you have to prove that you can be a good resident. Then it's mm. proving that you're a good fellow. Then when I got to my attend, became an attending, same thing. I'm on the bottom again. And I'm surrounded by this group of people with so many more. I was far by far the youngest too. So these people had years more experience than I did. And so I always felt like I was playing catch up and it was just never enough. And so um, I was starting to really burn out and I was really trying to ignore it. So those things that you said in the beginning that made me or make me interesting were really survival, I think, too. No, I know it. I started to take Taekwondo because my daughters were taking uh, Taekwondo. And you, you mean you did this a lot later in life? You did, oh, it, this yeah. is not something that you did as a kid? Oh, wow. No, my mom calls me a late bloomer. <laughs> really late bloomer. No, I was well into my mid to late 30s when I stepped into, oh, yeah. That's yeah. amazing. <laughs> so, thank you. I did it because my daughters were doing it, and I thought it would be a good activity for me to do with them and also to just be physical. I like to exercise and diminish some stress. Yeah, diminish stress, stay sane. I was also practicing yoga because my mom's a cancer survivor and I had taken her to her first yoga class after all during remission so that she could find a way to heal. And I did that with her so that we could have an activity together uh, as well. So those things now in retrospect, I realized were also this, I was drawn to this whole mind, body, physical connection. And it kept me sane because I had these things to do outside of the work that I was beginning to hate more and more every day. Mm. And I just saw no way out. As time was going on and the pressures of this same day, same day were going on and more cases and we're becoming busier and we're driving back and forth to different clinics. It didn't feel exciting to me. It just felt like I was trapped. And I also started to feel like I was losing my integrity. This is not the pathology that I had grown up with. This is not what, it was not meant to be fast. And here's another piece. My parents worked in factories when they came here to the United States. And one of the things that they told me, they never pressured me to do anything specifically. They just wanted us to get an education, of course, for opportunity. And one of the things that they said was, get this education so that you don't have to work in a factory. Hmm. And I recall on one of my really dark days towards the end of my um, time in medicine, I looked at myself in the mirror one morning when I was leaving and I felt shame. And I also said to myself, I remember looking at myself and thinking, I'm nothing but a high paid factory worker. Mm. And I just wasn't proud. And I keep saying that, but it was really important to me to be proud of myself and to be proud of my work and to be proud of this thing that I had worked so hard for. And it just felt like a farce. I also felt like there was no escape. Like there was, um, I was looking down a very long, dark tunnel. I was only 40 at the time when I stopped practicing and I thought, I can't do this for another 
25, 30 years. Now, some may ask, why didn't I try to look for another position? I did. Our situation was so unique. We were such a small group that, let me just put it this way, we were very closely together. And everyone's actions were always, to use a pun, I guess, under a microscope too. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> there was nothing that you can do. Our door, we had an open door policy. We took uh, meals together. Yeah. So everyone knew where you were at all times. Plus, again, there was so much work, especially mm -hmm. towards the end. I couldn't look for another job. When was I going to look for another job? I remember a couple of times I walked out of the office with my cell phone down into the parking lot and tried to call people from my cell phone so nobody would see me doing it. Okay. I did ask a couple of friends here and there, but there were no positions open. Remember, I, have, I had a family, something I could pick up and go somewhere else. Yeah. So there, was, there were just no real openings, no real way for me to change. And so um, my health started to suffer more and more. I was feeling depressed and I really couldn't see it. My husband is the one who noticed that I was in a lot of trouble and that this is hard, you know, it's, it's just hard, you know, cause you're not supposed to be, um, anyway, my husband, uh, is the one who saved me. And that's when I stopped practicing medicine. I got help from a doctor because I was depressed. Yeah. And I couldn't admit it. Because I wasn't supposed to. Mm. Yeah, that must have been really hard for you to go from something that you really love and very clearly I can see that you're passionate about to losing all that meaning that you found in that work that you did um, to the point where you were clinically depressed. And, you know, it, it's definitely sad that, you know, something that, you used to love so much became a cause of a lot of your pain. And I'm so sorry to hear that. Thank you. Yeah. I've had a lot of time to really think about this in retrospect and, and I'm, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about it, but yeah, it was, it was very painful. And uh, I definitely carried a lot of shame for a long time. Did you feel like it was because you gave up on medicine or pathology? Can, Can you I tell us a little bit more about that? Sure. It felt like I had I wasn't able to truly prove myself at that point, that I, I didn't have what it took to be part of the elite. My husband was in the military. He was in the Navy. Um, and one of the things that we used to talk about a lot were our experiences and there were so many parallels in people being very harsh and you having to prove that you belonged all the time. And I thought that at a certain point that would stop because I had shown that I was capable. There was nothing wrong with my work, really. I'm a very hard worker and 
I knew when to get help. I studied. I tried my best. I was very reliable. So it wasn't a capability. It was just feeling like I no longer fit or had enough of the passion again to eat the shit sandwich. I get where you're coming from. And I really appreciate you coming on my show and sharing your story. And this is really important for other people to listen to. Um, I guess I can sort of, for certain parts of your story or the essence of it, I can draw parallels with my own um, struggles as well with medicine. It's this, like you said, there's this constant need to prove ourselves. And I think the thing that compounds on top of that and makes it all worse is that we as doctors find it very hard to talk to others about this because we're not mm-hmm. supposed to. We're meant mm-hmm. to put our head down. We're not meant to show any signs of struggle because the moment we show signs of struggle, um, it it becomes, um, you know, perceived as a sign of weakness or incompetence, Absolutely. which is mm-hmm. completely not true. It's far from the truth. Uh, but unfortunately, we're still stuck in this very old culture and way of thinking. And, you know, thank you so much for sharing your story. Um, hopefully we can chip away at this, you know, um, culture and attitude bit mm-hmm. by bit. Yeah, because thinking that you're intrinsically defective and that you have to keep working to prove that you're not and that you're worthy is not a good way to live. It's not, you're never going to be the best version of yourself that way. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. So how did you feel afterwards after you quit your job and left pathology? I felt, as I mentioned earlier, an extreme amount of shame. I felt like a failure. I felt defeated and I was depressed and I had no real light, nowhere to go. I didn't know what I was going to do. And I will say this a couple of times after I left and I was trying to figure things out, I got job offers. (laughs) Those job offers I had been looking for before I left. Mm -hmm. I'm a very, well, clearly, right, as an expethologist, a visual person, I remember getting a call from someone uh, for a job, a position that was opening in an academic setting for cytopathology, something that I had wanted years ago. And immediately what came to, in my mind, what I could see, I know this is going to sound weird, but this is what happened. I could clearly see a burlap sack that was full of nails. And I imagined myself consuming those. That's what it felt like, the idea of going back to work. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, (laughs) yeah. So I I think that was a pretty good (laughs) indicator at that point (laughs) that I was never going back. It was because I had been toying with the idea of, well, do I do locum? Do I um, go teach at a community? What can I do with this? And... That visual that day, that powerful visual that snapped into my vision, and I imagined, not just that I could see it, I felt myself 
that's what it felt like to practice medicine to me consuming a bag of nails oh rusty nails oh. yeah yeah so i knew that i was never going back to medicine at that point and then the second time i got uh, an offer i just laughed and said no no i'm, I'm good <laughs> i'm good um so it was then time to decide what i was going to do well i was a yoga practitioner and so I decided to go and deepen my practice so I could figure out what mm -hmm. my next step was. And they were having yoga instructors start, um, yoga instructor program start, and they convinced me to do it. And I did it. Halfway through the training, a light bulb came on when I had an, an older instructor come in and teach a really slow class. And I thought, that's it. I can give back to my community with older people in a modified way and still use my medical knowledge because older people tend to have a lot of or different chronic issues that I would understand and I could relate to. And so that's, that's how I, um, I started to practice teaching yoga to seniors in the community. Um, it took me a very, very long time. It took me years to recover from my shame in not having been able to, or what I thought was, what I was telling myself was not being able to hack it in medicine, not being able to stick it out like everybody else. What was wrong with me? Why didn't I love it like everybody else? Why couldn't I continue to work as hard as everybody else and still love it despite all of that racing. Why couldn't I maintain that fast pace and be happy at the end of the day? Why couldn't I be proud of that work? And th the fact of the matter is I just couldn't. Okay. It just wasn't for me in the long run, mm -hmm. no matter what it was and no matter what anyone else had to say with it about yeah. it. You know, because the thing is people are going to have opinions, but they're not walking in your shoes. They're not having your experience. It taught me a lot about empathy. Because unless you can really understand what's going on in someone's head, and we all put masks on, then you really can't make judgments about what someone's feeling and what someone should be doing with their lives. And so and at the end of the day, what I thought when I was a five-year-old girl that I would have be practicing medicine until I retired, this was not going to be my reality. And no, no matter how much I fought it, in the end, it just, I couldn't deal with the changes that were occurring in medicine. That's not how I wanted to practice medicine. Yeah. It just was And that's okay too. I mean, I don't know if it's sort of something that we as doctors, as a group, that have put ourselves um, or put so much pressure on ourselves, or if it's partly because of societal expectations, but it's absolutely okay. Just like how a lot of other professions, people stop and change careers as well. It's mm -hmm. no, it shouldn't be any different in medicine. You know, doctors are allowed to figure it out later on and be like, you know what, actually I'm better as a yoga instructor, <laughs> you know, yeah. things like that. Yeah. Oh, I for certainly am. I'm better in so many ways. I, I teach the population I teach because of the way I grew up. I always I grew up with, in Haitian culture, you respect your elders. And, and then, I don't know if you could kind of hear in my story hints, but 
the mentors that I looked up to were older women and who were practicing pathology. You know, there were a few wise men in there too. There was one particular attending who I thought was just a genius. And I'll never forget one of the things he taught us was about being very succinct when we, he was a hematopathology um, um, specialist and he hated long reports. And so I remember he sat us down around the microscope and said, you're not helping anybody by writing a book. You're not helping anybody by writing a novel, okay? As a matter of fact, you're making the clinician's job harder. Be simple. And it's just something that I carry with me for just being able to communicate in a more succinct, simple, intelligent fashion. So I just really loved taking wisdom and learning from experience and there being less um, discomfort, less artifice with an older person because they've lived those years, they've had that experience. So there's, that, there's gonna be less of that mask. They figure things out more. There's an easier way to have a rich, real conversation, uh, a deep conversation with, with an older person. And so I just love doing that. And so it just made a lot of sense for me to put together what I loved about being a pathologist, deconstructing, thinking about applying for the person in front of me. That's why I went the route I did with teaching an older population. Yeah. And be of, of service and comfort. Now, this next question, I think, is a bit useless now because you've effectively answered it already. Uh, but, you know, in case there's anything else you want to add, um, do you have any other, you know, regrets about leaving medicine or even doing medicine in the first place? No, I don't have any regrets. I did, but as I've mentioned before, it took time for me to come to a place of acceptance and forgiveness, forgive myself freely um, about not doing what I thought I would do until the end of my life. The one thing, another thing I will say is that it, the journey taught me about what it really means to be a lifelong learner. That was something, another one of my attendings in medical school, who was an older man, said to us in class about medicine teaching one to be a lifelong learner or to be an effective doctor to be a lifelong learner is you is is a responsibility and i didn't know what that meant until years later and part of the in, one of the ingredients i was missing for being a lifelong learner when i was practicing was that natural curiosity that love that passion not the learning under duress. That was my experience. I was learning under duress for a long, 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 long time. I looked at life as a job, as a career, as my learning as was, I approached learning as a job. This is something I must get done. So there was no enjoyment in it. And so what I've learned about being a lifelong learner is being allowed to have that real curiosity and approaching learning with love and not attaching self-worth to it. Just because I don't like a subject doesn't mean that I am a flawed human being or just because I uh, 
didn't necessarily do well on that test doesn't mean that there's something there's something intrinsically wrong with me and the other thing is i didn't take enough that i didn't have that curiosity so i didn't take subjects that were outside of what i had to do to survive becoming a doctor you know other than requirements um curiosity about maybe taking an art class taking a psychology course or just being curious and taking something else that has nothing to do with anatomy or physiology okay well that was some really amazing advice that you shared with us um so it pretty much also answers the next question which is do you have any advice for junior doctors and i'm just going to add a little bit more to this question um to flesh it out a bit i think maybe more in particular with regards to and it doesn't necessarily have to be junior doctors it can be also more senior doctors that this advice would be uh, aimed at but um you know do you have any advice surrounding leaving medicine in particular? That's a really good question. And one I've thought a lot about, and I have thought about a lot about, obviously. I think it's very, very important to pursue interests outside of medicine. Be a little bit more well-rounded. So if something does happen, you do have an exit strategy and you can figure out these are other passions that I have, or these are other avenues that I can pursue because I've spent time doing other things. You know, I watch a lot of cooking shows and a lot of those people say, I was in corporate this or I was in that, but I always had this passion. Well, you wouldn't have known that unless you had given yourself the ability to maybe here and there take a cooking class or, or say, or do something about it, hmm. I, you know? I have this interest so let me let me play with that interest a little bit it's important to be more well-rounded not just it, a scientist okay yep. um i've said this already and you actually said it really well when we were talking earlier if something doesn't feel right if ultimately it's not for you it's not for you and it's not your fault okay um, trust your instincts. I'm reading a really excellent book now that I'd like to quote, if that's okay. Of it's course. Called, it's called Elderhood by Louise Aronson. She's a geriatrician in the United States on the West Coast. It is a beautifully written book. Um, one of the things she says in there is, I quote, among doctors, normal human emotions are still seen as evidence of weakness unquote oh my goodness that it just sums up all of the the attitudes and culture of medicine right now or mm -hmm. you know back then or you know still oh still she's talking about how we really need to and what you and i have pretty much been talking about today is changing the culture of medicine it's only going to make us better it, it it really is you're only going to be most excellent in what you're doing because at the end of the day you're a doctor you are a servant of the community you just are and how can you serve under duress or when you feel like you can't get help 
can't talk to anybody when you're having a struggle because maybe it is just for you, it might just be a struggle with something. And if you could just talk to someone about that thing, then it would make things better. And then you could go on instead of carrying this burden and allowing it to um, multiply or, or get worse. I think it's really important for my episode, for my podcast recently, I had two friends on. Um, one of them is my friend. I met her when I was in attending and she was thinking about medical school. She has since become a pathologist and she has a friend who is an internist. He's a hospitalist. And they came on together to talk about one of the things that they discovered about surviving in medicine. They both love what they do. Let's not pretend it was easy, but they had a friendship so that they could be real with one another. They could be authentic and they could say, you know what? This part really sucks. I don't know if I'm going to make it. I don't know if I can tolerate this or, or this. And the other person was there because he and she could understand what the other person was going through and truly provide support. And you didn't have to play, they didn't have to play any political games with each other or filter their language or say the right thing because you never know if the person's going to go tell someone. Yeah, the politics, that, that's another thing. So it's very important that we understand that we have to take care of ourselves too to practice effectively because you're not going to be the best version of yourself if you feel terrible. How can you serve that way? Mm. It just doesn't work in the long run. Okay. Um, so those are, that's another thing that I would say you to acknowledge your emotions. And if you need help, get help. Find someone that you can really talk to that you can really, that you who can support you, truly support you and that you feel that you can trust with your vulnerability because you are a person. Okay. Final question, Nadine. Uh, name one or two things that keep you sane in your crazy, busy life. Is it okay if I name three? Of course you may. Okay. Three things that really ground me. Family, music, and cooking. Anytime I know um, I need uh, some self-soothing or some self-regulation, one of those three things does it for sure. And I can imagine like, you know, being a drummer, like that is the best for like, for the lack of a better word, venting your frustrations on the drum set, like just smashing it out and getting, you know, any um, frustration, you know, out of your system. It certainly is. And it's also been, that also has been a really great learning experience too, in learning to let go of the perfectionist, you know, because mm -hmm. that's how we grow up in, in medicine. You have to be perfect at everything. And in the drumming, what I was doing was, it was a lot of ego at first and wanting to <laughs> be really good at, or I should be good at, and I shouldn't make mistakes. And lucky for me, I met my teacher who really helped me understand the beauty in imperfection and acceptance of making mistakes and learning from those mistakes and being a better human for it. 
So before we wrap up, if our audience would like to hear more from you, um, can you please tell us where they can find you and listen to your podcast? Oh, thank you. Okay, so the easiest way to do it, I think the simplest way is just to go to my website, www.yogi, so that's Y-O-G-I-M-E.net. Well, thank you so much for your time, Nadine, and for sharing your story with us. Thank you for allowing me to do so. And um, thank you for allowing me to be vulnerable and um, not, and for your understanding, your compassion, and I didn't feel judged by you. So thank you for that. If you really liked that episode, please don't forget to leave a review on iTunes to help a sister out. And don't forget to subscribe to our email list so that you never miss an episode.